All right. Well, for the last couple of weeks, uh, as you guys know, we've hit on a specific subject matter in our study of Romans that, to be honest, means a lot to me. There's always certain subject matters that really you know, hit certain people, and one of them means a lot to me, and I hope it does to you as well. And so this morning, I'm going to take a break from Romans, and I want to talk about that subject matter. And so we're going to look at a short passage in Luke chapter 6. If you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 46 through 49. As I mentioned, this has been brought up in our study through chapter 8. And so this is always a good time when you hit certain subject matters. You kind of want to maybe stop and look elsewhere. This, by the way, is a passage, at least a part of it anyway, that is also uh, in Matthew chapter 7, which, as you know, we know as the Sermon on the Mount. But here in Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 46 through 49, which says this. This is Jesus talking. And Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and he laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. I wanted to share this um, message today because I believe it is a great reminder um, for all of us here this morning, um, maybe for some of you, um, this is possibly a convicting passage, um, and hopefully it is a direct challenge to all of us here that knowing the Word of God, or maybe I should say as, as important it is to know the Word of God, and we push that here at this church, it is not a free pass into the kingdom of God. Now, for others, this might be a prompting that even though we, we, we do our best here at Discover Church every week to, to, to go through the, the scriptures, um, it is vital that we also understand that we must allow these scriptures to transform us. It does us no good if we just have a great head knowledge and we can answer all the Bible trivia tonight or we can answer the Bible questions on Jeopardy and whatever. All that's great, but are those things a part of your life? Is the Word of God determining what you do and how you act and, 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 and how you uh, treat others and so forth and so on? Now, before we actually get into the text, let me just, as I always do, I want to spend a few minutes just to kind of uh, set this up for you. This is, a, this is a passage which you've obviously, we just read so you understand this, but this is a passage where Jesus simply gets straight to the point and he challenges the belief system of his Jewish audience. Okay, And yes, by the way, that very same challenge is still applicable today, okay? not just to, to, to false religions or to world religions, but it's also still applicable to the church today. Why? Because the church today is, is, is somewhere lost between feel-goodism and compromise. To me today, it's a sad state of the church, in my opinion, today. 
Now, as far as our text is concerned, many of you know this, but it was the Jews who always felt that they were right with God. Okay, whether it was because of their heritage, whether it was because they were a descendant uh, of Abraham, or maybe it was the fact that they possessed uh, the law. Okay, but whatever it was, to them, they were God's chosen people. And just because of that, they were automatically, we're tight with God. If anybody knows God, it's us. Well, Jesus took the opportunity in this very long sermon, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, to tell them the reality is you fall way short of knowing God. You fall way short of knowing God. Basically, the entire Sermon on the Mount was a blatant warning against what I would just simply call uh, religiosity or playing the religion game. Uh, For them, going through the motions of Judaism was really getting them absolutely nowhere. Matter of fact, as religious as some of them were, it was actually moving them further and further away from knowing the truth. As a matter of fact, as Jesus got towards the end of this sermon, and I mentioned this text a couple weeks back, but in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, He explained to them, basically, and these are paraphrased, he says, you know what? There are really only two options in life. Jesus calls them roads. Roads. And and what he does here is he tells them that they need to do a better, uh, they need to have a better choice, if you will, if they want to go to the correct destination. So he goes on, he says, there is, there's a broad road that is out there, and that broad road, he says, leads to destruction. And he says, how many go through it? How many people? Many. Many go through it. And then he says that there's also this narrow road that leads to life. And how many go through it, everybody? A few, he says. A few. Well, in those same two verses, Jesus warns them, saying... He says, enter through the narrow gate. In other words, this is another word of saying, you guys are on the wrong road. That's it. Listen to what Jesus says right here. If you turn there, if you'd like, in Luke 13. If you want to turn over real quick to Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 27. Jesus said, well, it says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because, there's that word again, many, I tell you, will try to enter and they will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and he closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open up the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you, and I don't know where you're from. Then you will say, well, we ate with you. We we drank with you. You taught in our streets, right? It's like saying, what do you mean you don't know who we are? But he will reply, I don't know you or where you're from. Away from me. You evil doers. 
Folks, those are not the words that anybody wants to hear. Not a single soul. Okay? Continuing on this, the Sermon of the Mount, not here in Luke, but back in Matthew 7, it goes from those two roads to going right into discussing false prophets. As you know, he says that false prophets will come to you in sheep's clothing. Okay? That's simply to say, these, these people are not going to look like they're a threat. Right? They're not going to look like they're a threat. They're going to look good. They'll probably sound very good. Uh, uh, they're popular, or maybe, maybe in today's world, they sell a lot of books. But you know what? He says they're leading you down, guess where? The wrong road. That's the connection. They're leading you down the wrong road. They're not giving you, if you will, a correct, biblically sound message. Okay, and if you, I know everybody here has heard me say this before, but what they do is they give you a little bit of truth. They give you just enough of the truth. Why do they do that? Because that's what draws you in. You hear that truth and you're going, oh, okay, I'm, I'm good for this. But then what do they do? They stuff it with a lie. Nobody comes out and says, I'm a false teacher, I'm a liar, please show up, it's free of charge. No, they'll give you enough of the truth so you're going, oh, yeah, it sounds good. And they'll just pack it full of a lie. Folks, remember, just because you see someone and they're considered a, quote, religious leader, they carry their Bible under their arm, sadly, it does not mean they're a safe bet. It doesn't. Now, applying this very same principle today, why doesn't the church warn people of this? Pastors, they have a problem. They don't warn people of stuff like this. Why does the church just let this kind of stuff go by the wayside and they don't talk about it? They don't warn people. We have, folks, we have as many false teachers today as we have ever had at any time in the history of the church. There are so many people out there uh, twisting Scripture, twisting, or if you will, the Christian faith. And they're all over the place. We can't go anywhere without it. I mean, number one, they're on the internet, which is worldwide. It's massive, right? They're in Christian magazines. You can go to YouTube for some people who like, like I'm sure you like going to YouTube for, for videos or guitar, you teach guitar and different things. There's all kinds of stuff on YouTube, but they're false teachers everywhere. Some have their own TV shows. Some of them are on popular news shows, news programs that some of us probably watch, and they act as if this person is the true spokesman of Christianity. It couldn't be further from the truth. Folks, the church today, the true church of Jesus Christ, is not a religious institution that welcomes any and all beliefs. It's not. You cannot take scripture and do what I call theological gymnastics with it, throw it into a blender, and still call it Christianity. The Christian faith is not some blurred, unclear, vast, diverse conversation, as one false teacher said. There is no conversation, there is no discussion as far as the heart of Christianity. 
You must place your faith, your trust in the work of Jesus Christ alone. Otherwise, you will face a godless eternity. Nobody likes using that word hell today. It's reality. It's reality. Why is it that the church today doesn't want to talk about what we would simply call absolutes? Well, you know, Darren, we don't want to step on people's toes, right? We hear that term a lot. Or we hear this one, we certainly don't want to offend anybody. We certainly hear that one a lot. Or, you know what, we just, you know, Darren, we just don't want to divide. We want this to place, be a nice place to come to. People look forward. They enjoy it. We don't, we don't want to cause division. Why is that? Why is that? Because this is exactly what Jesus does in this text. Matter of fact, Jesus caused division his entire public ministry. Am I right? His entire public ministry is all he did is cause division. And you know how he did that? By separating the truth from error. That steps on people's toes. That offends people. Well, you know what? If you're learning the truth and you're being told you're wrong, so be it. You need to know the truth. Jesus gave these Jews absolutely no wiggle room, and he's going to end the whole discourse really doing the same thing. Okay. Now, ultimately, here is the question, if you will, from the whole text. Here's the question from the whole text. It's a simple question, and it's basically this. Is it going to be heaven, or is it going to be hell? You can boil it down to that. That's the question. Which one is it? Which one is it going to be? Right now, according to the, 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 the previous text, the people that Jesus is talking to are actually mistaken. Or if you want to use the words of this text, they're currently going down the wrong road. Okay? Being very religious people, they didn't think so. Right? I'm a devout Jew. So being very religious, they, they thought they were good to go. They were completely unaware that they are, as Jesus said, on the broad road that leads to destruction. It's one thing to choose hell, and there are people who do that. It's another thing to, to believe that your GPS is right on the money, but you're completely lost. And so he winds down this discourse Jesus poses this very direct question here in verse 46. Let me read it again. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Is it just me, or did I think he just stepped on lots of toes? Jesus flat calls them out, and he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? The Greek word kurios, it means master, okay? If you ever, by giggles, uh, read the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's also translated from Jehovah, okay? One Greek dictionary says, when used of God, it is as the supreme Lord and sovereign of the universe. That's a strong statement. 
When you say Lord, you're saying it is of the supreme Lord and sovereign of the universe. And when it says it two times in a row, like you've seen people say truly, truly, or verily, verily, you've seen stuff like that. When you say Lord, Lord two times in a row, it's, it's to express an intense strength of devotion and dedication. It's like, wow. Did you hear that person say, Lord, Lord? Man, that person's serious. He's devoted. Jesus said that some of those people were using those words to him. And knowing what those words mean says a lot, doesn't it? Now, if you're wondering why they, meaning these, these Jews, would call him that, it's because some of them did identify themselves with Jesus. They were fascinated with Jesus. You see, back in the day, you would always want to hook up. You would always want to follow a rabbi. And, and basically, in those days, you would just simply pick one. You would just pick your own rabbi, and from there, you would basically just follow him around, and you would listen, and you would learn. Wasn't that difficult? You have a walking classroom is what you would have, okay? Now, back in verses 17 and verse 20 here in Luke chapter 6, these people were called disciples, mathetes. It means simply a learner, a pupil, a student. That's what they were, okay? Now, understand, they followed Jesus not just because he was popular, not just because he, uh, he spoke very well that no one spoke like Jesus did, right? But because of what he was doing. If you flip back right here, stay in the same chapter, flip back to verses 17 through 19. Luke 7, 17, sorry, Luke 6, 17 through 19. It says this, speaking of Jesus, it says, he went down with them and he stood on a level place a large crowd of his disciples, so there was a lot of them, was there a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Folks, Jesus was obviously different from every other, maybe every other rabbi. Here you have miracles, you had healings, evil spirits were cast out. Who else was like Jesus? None. None. Jesus did not have any peers or co-equals, if you will, in the truest sense. He had none. He wasn't just a group of rabbis like, in, uh, you know, like everybody else. Now, with the size of the crowd that was mentioned, which was very large, there were probably some, some sincere people who truly did want to follow Jesus. They may have thought that, you know what, he, he, we believe he really is the, the long-awaited Messiah. There probably were some. But the ones that he's talking to right here in verse 46 are another story. Notice what he says, and I'm going to read it again. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So here lies the problem 
which we all understand, I'm sure. It's one thing to call somebody Lord. It's one thing to call somebody Master. But it's another to actually listen and obey. Right? Turn back to to Matthew chapter 7, just real quick. Matthew chapter 7. So here, instead of asking a question in Matthew's account, instead of asking a question, Jesus just makes a very clear statement, okay? He's not asking anybody. He's making a statement. He says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. As I told you before, I hope you have circled the word says and does because those are different, aren't they? Just because someone says, Lord, Lord, is irrelevant. He says, it's those who do the will of my Father in heaven. So based upon what Jesus has said right there, the implication back here in Luke chapter 6 is this. Many of you guys are not heaven bound. That's the implication. You can call me Lord, you can call me Master, but those aren't some special passwords that get you into my kingdom. You know, today when someone says, I'm a Christian, sometimes we just don't even seem to ask questions. It's just, oh, okay, right? Because these people followed Jesus and were called disciples, it did not stop Jesus from making his point to them. Just because they said, well, hey, I'm a, I'm a disciple. Jesus says, it's like he's saying, I don't care, so you listen to me. What, what, and? <laughs> that's it. And that's the problem. Just because they grew up in the synagogues, just because they grew up even knowing the Old Testament, and they believed the same God, didn't get them a free pass because they were well-intentioned. Sincerity doesn't equal truth, folks, right? Go back to Luke 6. Look at verse 47. Jesus says, I will show you. Now remember, he just said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? And then he says, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. So notice In that one statement, there are two points. Very simple. First one, hearing my words, right? Which they did, right? They got that one down. They listened to Jesus. They were even his disciples. They follow him around, right? The second point is, and putting them into practice. Okay? Hearing my words. The second point, putting them into practice. I like, I like MacArthur's statement. He says, it's like Jesus is saying, I'm not here for your curiosity. I'm not looking for your fascination. I'm not here for your admiration. I'm telling you what it is to be a true follower. I like that. He's just, he says, that's basically what he's trying to say. I'm glad you like me. I'm glad you're curious. I'm glad you admire me. But that's not why I'm here. That's not why I'm saying what I'm saying is what he's trying to get at. The heart of the believer is not just because someone uses Christian words like Lord, right? It's not because we use Christian talk. 
as you know, but it's because of the walk or it's because they, they live out the Christian walk. That doesn't save them. That's a byproduct of their salvation. Jesus' statement, putting my words into practice, number one, and this is the foremost basic thought, is number one, obeying the gospel, right? If you're going to listen to anything Jesus is going to say, number one, it's literally obeying the gospel that he preaches. Setting aside any and every belief that you hold on to and trusting in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. Believing that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Knowing that forgiveness of sins comes from him alone because he took care of it. He paid the price on that old Roman cross. But number two, a born-again believer... By the way, you hear me say that word a lot. I use that term a lot, born again, because everybody and their mother says, I'm a Christian. Jesus says in John 3, talking to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So whenever somebody says, I'm a Christian, I use the word, are you born again? If they hesitate one second, I know what the answer is. You hear me say that word a lot. So number two, a born again believer has a changed heart. We've talked about this in Romans, haven't we? What about the Holy Spirit working in our lives? A born-again believer has a changed heart because their faith is in Christ, and he has changed who they are from the inside out. They now have a desire to follow him. That never happened before. That person, that Christian, desires what God desires. They love what God loves. And even though we will all fail that many times, they still live a life that is worthy to be called a believer in Christ. Salvation, this, for some people, folks, this is, they struggle with this statement, but not that I care, but I'm going to say it anyway. Salvation and obedience to the will of God are inseparable. Salvation and obedience to the word of God are inseparable. These are the very words that Jesus is telling us here. The gospel, as you know, is a command to believe and be saved, right? And then there is this pattern of obedience. Sin is the exception. It's not the rule, okay? The writer of Hebrews says, In chapter 5, verse 9, he, meaning Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Well, you know, he could have just used the word believe, right? He's the eternal source of all who believe. He could have just used that. But obedience is that sign. Obedience is that evidence of your salvation, As we all know, you can, I mean, the Apostle John is, is crystal clear. It's somewhat blunt when you look in, at 1 John. But I like how he says it. He says, we know. He says we're guessing. He doesn't say, well, I hope for the best. He says, we know that we have come to know him. We can know it. Why? He says, if we obey his commands. He says, the man who says, I know him, I know Christ, I have a relationship with him, but does not do what he commands, John's pretty tough. He says, he's a liar, 
and the truth is not in him. Folks, I guarantee you right now, half the pastors in this country won't even quote that verse because it's just a straight up verse. It just, it is what it is. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him, he says. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Perfection? Absolutely not. John 8, 31. Jesus says this. If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Wow. If there was a concluding statement, folks, to this passage, that would probably be it. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then you are really my disciples. Just because you hung out here with me to try to get healed and went home doesn't mean somehow you're heaven bound. Just because I fed you, uh, you know, fish and bread because you were hungry doesn't mean you're heaven bound. Let me read to you this quote, and I know in a past sermon I've read this before, but I, I, I think it's worthy of repetition. On an engraving uh, of a cathedral in Lübeck, Germany, says this. So speaks Christ our Lord to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and yet you see me not. You call me the way and yet you walk me not. You call me life and yet you live me not. You call me wise and you follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich, and yet you ask me not. You call me eternal, and yet seek me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Folks, that sh- I'll be honest with you, that should give you the chills. It really should. For not being the word of God, because it is not the word of God, it sure says a lot, doesn't it? It just throws it right at us. Now, as Jesus moves into verses 48 and 49, he's going to give an illustration. He stated in verse 47, he says, I will show you what this person is like. Well, what, what, who? Who's the person he's talking about? Well, he says the one who hears his words and puts them into practice, right? I'm going to show you who this person is like. So now it's what he does. He goes into verse 48 to do just that. And so he says in verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug down deep and he laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. For the sake of time, there are, there are uh, key words here. here. Here's your key words. He dug down deep, okay? The foundation was on rock, and he says it was well built, okay? This is the one he says who hears my words and obeys them. Now look at verse 49. 
But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Did you notice the key words there? I'll give you a hint. There weren't any. They didn't dig down deep, did they? Matter of fact, they didn't dig at all. It says they built it with no foundation. They built a house right on top of the ground, it says in the illustration. You know, it sounds to me like it's all about the foundation. It's all about the foundation. In Matthew's gospel, he talks about building on the rock, right? Versus building on the sand, right? Once again, it's about the foundation. From what I see in this illustration, both houses, at least basically from what he tells us, both houses were built the same, right? The same storm hit the house, if you will. So once again, the issue was, who are you building your house on? Which is Jesus' point. So in the illustration, both builders, if you will, heard the message and both builders proceeded to build the house. In the illustration, well, I'm going to pass that up. But you'll notice there, both build the house, but in, it was the wise man who built his house using his illustration directly on the words of Christ, right? The other person, well, not so much. <laughs> he felt because he simply heard the words that his house was going to be secure. It's like saying, I'm religious. My house is going to be secure, right? I went to church. I memorized some Awana verses. My house is going to be secure, Folks, the building of these houses represents our lives, doesn't it? The one builder is sound. He's faithful. He obeyed the message and he did what he was told to do. The other builder, now listen to this, people. The other builder, though, he believes he did the right thing. He does believe he did the right thing. He believes that he's pleasing God. I mean, think about it, folks. He's not purposely going to build a house he knows is going to fall down. He believes he's doing the right thing. But yet when it's all said and done, one man's trust in the Lord and the other man's trust is ultimately in himself. Which, by the way, is simply the pity of every single world religion there is. It's built upon self. It's what you can do instead of what God did. In this situation, of course, in our context, it was somewhat of a twisted form of Judaism. But it can be and is, really, anything, anything and everything that is outside of what God has revealed in his word. Now, I know that some people are going to say, well, Darren, look it. <laughs> I would never trust in Islam. I would never trust in Buddhism. I would never trust in Hinduism. I would never trust in the Baha'i faith. I would never trust in Wicca. And you can go on and on and on. But listen to me, that's the trap. 
It's like the people here in Luke chapter 6, because it is to think that you have it right. Right? They said, they said Lord, Lord. They think they got it right. They call me Lord. They say they're dedicated. See, they're not going to build a house that they think is going to fall down. But it is. We know it is. He just told us it is. The church, folks, is ignorant today because they believe that as long as we have a sticker right there that says, I'm a Christian, it's all good. And we probably all know people who hold that kind of stuff. I'm a Christian. It's all good. Matter of fact, if, if, you, if you challenge that, you're a jerk. There are probably other words we could have used, but not here in the church. <laughs> you're a jerk. But listen, Jesus challenged it, right? Jesus challenged it. He wasn't a jerk. He wasn't focused on some denomination, but it's because he did not want to hear the worst words any human being can ever hear. What are those? Depart from me. I never knew you. Lord, Lord, I have no idea who you are. None whatsoever. But that statement is to say that they thought they did. They thought they were on the right road. They thought they had it all down. Folks, there's, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? It goes back to hearing my word and obeying it, right? Folks, God's word is glorious. God's word is perfect. God's word gives the only message of salvation. There is no other message outside of the word of God for the truth of salvation. And you'll know it because he's changed your life. You can come in here this morning you can, fake any, you can fake us out. You can. Listen to me. There are millions of people who've gone to church for years, and there are millions of people today in churches all over the world who are not saved. Ask any pastor, they'll tell you the same thing. That's just reality. Right? And they know that, which is why many of them share the gospel every single solitary week. Okay? The question is, you can fake people out, but the question is, what is your foundation? What is your life built on? Not what is your Sunday morning built on. That's a problem too, right? It's not what your Sunday morning is built on, is what is your life built on? The easiest way to be duped, folks, is just to follow somebody because they have a Christian label. Oh, I like their books. Or I heard they were, oh, they're Christian, great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this, watch this, go here, do whatever. And, and It's like, look it. And instead of calling themselves liars, which they're not going to be able to catch you by calling themselves liars, like Satan. Hey, I'm Satan. <laughs> it's not going to happen. He's a, he's a false teacher, right? He's an angel of what? Light, right? Satan is an angel of light, the Bible says. What do they tell you? They say, I'm a Christian. And then so many Christians blindly, blindly follow. Darren, you don't like so-and-so, this, this guy? No, he's a doofus. He's a false teacher. I can't believe you'd say that. I mean, anybody else heard this stuff like that before? 
Who are you following today? Is, is that message built soundly upon the Word of God? Folks, I hope this message challenges you today. Um, my job as a pastor is to protect the flock. Like pastor, point main, you know what that means? Shepherd. My job is to protect the sheep. Sometimes I'm going to have to say things, it's just the way it is. My job is to equip the saints to do the same thing. I think we are, we're in a church today where there's so much of this going around. There's so many people just being accepted. So many lives that are going to hell because, well, they said they were Christians, so like I'm never going to witness to them again. There's no fruit in anywhere in their life. And we just go, oh, but I was there when they were saved, so I know they're saved. You don't know they were saved. You have no idea. You don't read hearts. You're not God. But we can see their life or our own lives. As I've told you before, that's why Paul himself told the church, you better examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. That's, that's a nice way of saying some of you people aren't Christians and you need to check yourself out. And as we talked about in Romans, for those God justifies, he sanctifies he doesn't save people and saying, you're on the road, live any way you want, live in sin, it's all good, you'll get to heaven one day. That's baloney. But that's the message that we hear a lot of today. Just walk this aisle. Repeat after me, and you're good. That's it, guaranteed. It's, that's it, heaven bound. There might be some who have got saved that way. Don't get me wrong. But we need to be on our guard, folks, against error, against fallacy, as Dave mentioned this morning, we've got to stick to the truth of the Word of God, as we talked about too. You, it's here. It's not because somebody sounds good or sells a lot of books or is on a TV channel or they're great speakers. All those things are irrelevant. It's, we live in a sad time, folks, where we really have to challenge almost everything that comes along. You, you wouldn't think we'd have to do that. Someone says, I'm a believer in Christ, and I'm here for this, this, and this. You're going, oh, great, that's wonderful. You know, wow. You know, you want to hear what they have to say. You're going to read their book. You're going to do whatever. And you'd think that would be nice to be able to do that. I mean, but we can't do that anymore. We can't. We have to be discerning people. Biggest problem in the church today is that. There is no discernment. We've got to be discerning people. We've got to know the truth. Right? You heard me say this before. You're not going to be able to know these people. You're not going to be able to recognize the fallacies unless you know the truth. It's, I mean, it's not that difficult. Unless you know the truth, you can't recognize the fallacy. And Jesus says, hear my word and put it into practice. Live it out. I hope that you're encouraged yet challenged by that today. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. And uh, thank you, Lord, that... Um, for the opportunity to be able to share it. Um, I truly believe, Lord, in my heart that we just don't hear about this enough. I think that we live in a time when uh, we just accept anybody and everybody as Christians. There's no fruit, there's no life change. No one lives out the word of God or they don't care or they say, ah, God will forgive me. And Lord, it dupes so many people, even other Christians. Our friends, our families, maybe our spouses are being suckered.
God, uh, certainly we ask for your protection upon our lives, that, uh, that you would watch over us, that we'd be faithful in your word and know the truth. But Lord, that we would be bold enough to share with others who honestly probably don't want to hear it because they think they're on the right road. And who are we to say otherwise? Don't judge me. That's kind of the mantra of today. But Lord, if we don't make those judgment calls when it comes to this, many people will go to hell. Lord, help us to understand it's better to share the absolute truth with somebody and, the, and them hate our guts than to not share it at all. Help us to be bold with the truth of the authoritative word of the living God. And we pray this in your name.